Amen. Well, I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 10, if you will. We'll, it'll take us a few minutes to get there, but you can get a head start on us if you want to. In 1847, a man was born in Scotland by the name of John Alexander Dowie. Sometime during his early childhood, his family moved from Scotland to Australia, and they were living somewhere in or around Sydney, Australia. Well, the Lord called Dowie into the ministry, and in, at the age of 19, in 1876, he found himself as the pastor of a congregational church outside of Melbourne, Australia. And there was a, a plague that came through the city and the outlying areas that during that year. I'm not sure what exactly it was. I'm not sure they ever really identified it specifically as the Black Plague or anything like that. But it was one of the things that was so severe, this plague was so severe, that there was nothing that the medical community could do once somebody contracted this plague, this disease. It was just a matter of time before they died. And as the pastor of this congregation of the church, he saw, Brother Dowie saw, 38 members of his church succumbed to this sickness, this terrible plague, and died. There were so many people that died from the plague, they couldn't get them buried in time. And as a result, that added even more and more to the severity of the, the plague and caused it to spread even faster. But after losing 38 people, Dowie was coming back to his home after having seen another of his church members die and he cried out to God and he asked him he said Lord is all my church going to die is everybody going to succumb to this disease and it created a real conflict in him that was expressed at that particular time when Dowie was in such distress because of the loss of so many of his church members and so he started questioning God. God, are you behind this? Are you doing this? Is there something that we're supposed to learn? And that's the only belief I had or that he had concerning God and uh, sickness and disease or healing and so forth. So he didn't know what was going on. He didn't know who was doing what. But he cried out to God in desperation. And he said immediately, God brought Acts 10.38 to his understanding. He said it was like he didn't have his Bible open. He was crying. Like I said, he was in great despair and distress. But he said, it's like I saw that, that verse of Scripture jump off the page of the Bible and stare me in the face. And he said, instantly I knew. Instantly I knew. Acts 10.38 says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost in power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. He said, I instantly knew that God wasn't the one that was behind this. I instantly recognized by the revelation of the Spirit of God that the devil is the oppressor, that this plague is satanic oppression, that God's on the other side of the street. He's not using sickness or disease to teach anybody anything. Because he doesn't have sickness and disease. God can't use sickness and disease because he doesn't have any. He said, I immediately saw it. He said, from that moment on, there was not another church member that succumbed to this thing. 
the ones that were still in the hospital or and they had makeshift hospitals, kind of mass unit emergency room type situation set up all around the city. He said people continued to die, but not another one of his church people. The ones that had the disease recovered and not another person contracted that disease. Well, Dowie began to preach. He began to tell people what the Lord had shown him, what the Holy Ghost had revealed to him. And he had evidence by virtue of the fact that his congregation, the ones that had been exposed to the, to, to the disease, and even some that had contracted it, that they recovered and nobody else could recover. Hospital staffs and medical personnel saw that the people of his congregation that did contract the disease, and there weren't many of them, but there were a few, they recognized that they had something else going for them because they were the only ones that, that uh, were rescued from this disease, the only ones that improved, that the disease left them without bringing them to death. And so people started, it, it created a, a widespread stir around the city, as you could well imagine. So everybody's wanting to know, what are you doing? How have you inoculated your congregation so that no more are dying from this disease. So it gave him a platform that you just couldn't give yourself. It created a platform for him to tell what the Holy Ghost had shown him in Acts 10.38. And it created a little mini revival across the city. Two years later, he found himself leaving the pastorate of this small church that had become an incredibly large place because of the power of God that had been demonstrated through them. He went out as a traveling evangelist, a healing evangelist. In 1888, he set up a church right outside the World's Fair, which was taking place in Chicago at that time. And the news of his healing ministry was so widespread at that point in time that they couldn't contain the crowds, that people were leaving the World's Fair to take part in the church that was just in close proximity to all the, the things that were taking place in all the World's Fair activities. If you do a little bit of research and search these things out, you can see the pictures of the inside of the church or meeting house that they turned into a church, really. And there are crutches and wheelchairs and braces lining every inch of the walls as a testament to the people that had been healed during his ministry, during the short period of time, really. So here was the situation where Dowie did not know, and apparently nobody else around the area where he was knew either, about sickness and disease. And it's the same situation that so much of the church world is in now. Every Christian knows God can heal. But there's no way to pray the prayer of faith if you don't know it's his will. F.F. F. Bosworth talked about that a lot. He's the author of the book, Christ the Healer. 
And the book is not only a classic as far as teaching is concerned, but it's got some of the uh, some pictures of the crowds that he would have in these civic centers and meeting halls and things like that. Thousands upon thousands of people would come to hear. Now, Dowie was a little different than Bosworth. Dowie laid hands on the sick because he saw that that's the way that Jesus ministered in great degree. But Brother Bosworth, F.F. Bosworth, didn't lay hands on too many people. It wasn't something that he wouldn't do, but more people were healed by just the teaching of the word, being in the services and, and hearing the word that was taught. And he majored in the area of healing. So more people were healed that way than any other way in his ministry. But again, it drew thousands and thousands of people. Bosworth said, after having ministered the healing power of God, again, through teaching primarily. After having ministered or taught healing from a scriptural or biblical standpoint to hundreds of thousands of people, he said the number one hindrance to people receiving their healing is not being convinced of the will of God that they be healed. Now turn with me to Luke chapter 13. As we've said so many times before, John in his gospel account, the last one that was written, and it was written many years after, probably somewhere 55 to 60, maybe even more years later, John said that if everything that Jesus said and did was written down, the world itself couldn't contain the books. Well, that would have to mean, therefore, that there were a lot of people that were healed that we don't have an account of. There were a lot of people that were ministered to that the Holy Ghost didn't save us a record of. There are 19 individual cases of healing in the four Gospels. And that doesn't take into account the multitudes when Jesus healed them all. And it doesn't take into account groups of people like the 10 lepers that were healed as they went. But discounting those or separating those out, there are 19 individual cases of healing recorded in the four Gospels might seem like there's more than that because some of the gospel writers uh, relate the same stories or incidents. But if everything Jesus said and did was written down, according to John, the world couldn't contain the books, then there had to be a lot more cases of healing than what we have record of. Well, what does that mean to us? Well, I believe it means that we have in those 19 individual cases that are recorded in the four gospels, the principles of everything that Jesus did and the way he ministered healing has to be represented in those 19 cases to give us a full and accurate picture of the healing ministry of Jesus. And that's really all that the four Gospels should possibly do for us is to give us an accurate record or an accurate account of the healing ministry of Jesus. Not every detail, not every incident, but through the combination of these different instances of healing, we can see a clear and total picture of God's attitude toward sickness and disease and the work that Jesus did to bring healing to the multitudes. Luke chapter 13, verse 10. And he was teaching in the synagogues on, in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years 
and was bound together and could in no wise lift up herself. Now, I don't know exactly what this looked like, but it implies that she was bent over at the waist so that all she could see was the ground. I'm not sure how she was able to get around. You could well imagine that if this was an extreme case where she was bent over at the waist, it'd be hard to walk any distance to speak of any significant distance because of the condition that she was in. So what we know is that she had this spirit of infirmity. Again, we have to identify or ask ourselves, what does that mean? Does that mean there was a specific evil spirit that was enforcing the work of the devil against her in our life? Well, that's possible. It's not necessarily, it's not necessary or it's not an absolute thing that we can identify from the, the verses that give us the account of this. But it's certainly possible. Verse 12. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loose from thine infirmities. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day and said unto the people, There are six days which men ought to work. In them therefore come and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Now we don't see any record of, of or account information in this account that this woman had faith to receive her healing. As we said, there are 19 individual cases in the four Gospels, individual cases of healing in Jesus' ministry in the four Gospels. And about 75% of those either directly identify faith on the part of the individual to receive their healing or imply it through the action that they took, even if it doesn't tell us, doesn't specifically identify her faith. For example, Mark chapter 5, verse 34, when she was healed from the issue of blood, Jesus said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Well, we can search that story and see different aspects of her faith based on what she heard and based on what she said that clearly identify her faith. But there are other situations, this may be one of them, like the story in John chapter 5, where the man at the pool of Bethesda can't get into the water quick enough to be the first one that was healed after the angel came down and stirred the water. Jesus asked him, he seems to be searching for faith, and he said, wilt thou be made whole? And the man answered and said, I don't have anybody to put me in the water. But before I can get into the water, somebody beats me there. And it was always the, just the first one in after the troubling of the water that received their healing. Well, there's no faith exercised on his part. He's not expecting anything. Only thing he sees is his lack of help. And Jesus tells him to rise, take up his bed and walk. And he was healed. So that seems to be a healing that was initiated by the Holy Ghost rather than in response to somebody's faith. Well, here in Luke chapter 13, we don't have any indication that she's expressing faith toward receiving or healing. Now, what that means is whatever we see Jesus identify or what Jesus said about this situation is totally instigated by God, and it reveals clearly, without any shadow of doubt, what God's will is concerning sickness and disease, concerning healing for the physical body. Let's go back to verse 14. 
And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day and said unto the people, There are six days which men ought to work. In them therefore come and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered them and him and said, Thou hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? Verse 16, And ought not this woman... Ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, lo, these 18 years, be loosed on, from this bond on the Sabbath day? And when he had said these things, all of his adversaries were ashamed, and all of the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Folks, verse 16 is God's attitude toward sickness and disease for all of his children. Ought not this woman to be healed? Ought not this woman to be healed? No matter what we're facing, no matter what we're dealing with, no matter how long we deal with it, God's attitude is that every one of his children ought to be healed. No questions, no discrepancies, no arguments. If Jesus is the express image of his Father, if what Jesus said about himself is true, he said, I came to the earth not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. Well, by what he said and what he did regarding this woman in Luke chapter 13, then that has to mean it's the will of God for every person to experience what they need in order to receive or to have their healing. If he's doing the will of God, setting this woman free, identifying that all of the daughters of Abraham, everybody that's a child of Abraham or under the Abrahamic covenant ought to be healed. And that's God's attitude toward his children today. Now, some people might say, well, but we're not under the Abrahamic covenant. Well, that's partly true. The fact is, the Bible identifies that we have a new covenant established upon better promises. Hebrews 8, 6 says it's a better covenant established on better promises. But the covenant that we have now isn't a new or different covenant that God created with Israel through Abraham. It's the covenant that God made with Abraham fulfilled. It's the covenant that God made with Abraham with the additional benefits that came as a result of the sacrifice of Jesus. You may remember Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Well, the curse of the law is the curse of disobedience to the Abrahamic covenant which Moses brought in to, to, uh, which Moses codified with the law and the prophets but the Bible says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree verse 14 Galatians chapter 3 verse 14 tells us something that's important he says that the, bless, the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles now, notice that Paul didn't say the blessing of the, of the Abrahamic covenant was not still in effect. He said Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law so that the blessings of Abraham would be ours. Well, if the Abrahamic covenant was not done away with, then why is Paul teaching about the blessing of Abraham to the Galatian churches? The churches in the region of Galatia. In fact, the Bible goes on in Galatians chapter 3 into verse 29 and it says, And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. 
So see, folks, the better covenant that we have, the new covenant that's been ratified in the blood of Jesus, is the fulfillment of God's original plan for the, the Abrahamic covenant anyway. We are still under the Abrahamic covenant. Now, it's got additional benefits. It's a better covenant than what they had. But it means that God's attitude should be the same toward those that are sick today as it was in the day that Jesus healed this woman. If you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Again, Hebrews 8, 6 says that we have a better covenant established on better promises. It doesn't say we have a new covenant. It doesn't even say we have a different covenant. It says we have a better covenant. Well, what is the better covenant? Everything of the, the covenant that God made with Abraham plus what was purchased and obtained for us through the ransom of Jesus. Dying on the cross is our sacrifice. So when Jesus says, ought not this woman be healed? Ought not this woman be healed? Ought not this woman be healed? That's God's attitude toward every one of us that are facing or dealing with sickness and disease in our bodies. Ought not this woman be healed? Now he gives some reasons. The one we've already spoken to a little bit, and that is because she's a daughter of Abraham. Well, according to Galatians chapter 3, we're sons and daughters of Abraham too. Because Jesus has become the Lord of our lives, because we've been born into the family of God, then we're sons and daughters of Abraham too. So why should this woman, when Jesus was here in his earthly ministry, ought to have healing more than the sons that he paid the price for, the sons that he died, sons and daughters that he died for and shed his blood as a sacrifice. We can look at sickness when it attacks us and say, ought we not be healed too? But the second reason that Jesus identifies, I think is, speaks to the, the subject that we're approaching and dealing with tonight. Ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham whom Satan has bound. Folks, we need to understand something. It's an offense to God when we allow ourselves to be bound by Satan. We're children of the Most High God. Our righteousness is of Him. Doesn't have anything to do with us, or the only thing it has to do with us is the fact that we chose to make Jesus, Jesus the Lord of our lives. From that point on, everything is on him, not on us. It's an affront to God that his children would question whether or not it's the will of God to heal. But as we've already commented, that is the number one reason, according to certain healing evangelists, people that have experience in ministering healing to such a degree that they really should know they said it's the number one hindrance to people receiving their healing. Think about that, folks. Jesus paid for something. Jesus paid for healing for our physical bodies. It's not the only thing he paid the price for. But this is healing school, so that's where we're focusing our attention. Jesus paid the price for every one of us to walk in health. Not just receive healing when we need it. But God's plan is not to go from sickness to health, sickness to health, sickness to health, but to walk in health, to overcome the sickness when it comes, certainly, but then to walk in health, to walk free from sickness and disease. 
to walk free from the oppression of the devil. Remember what the Lord revealed to Dowie, Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with it. Dowie coined this phrase sometime later in his ministry. He said that sickness and disease are the foul offspring of its father Satan and his mother sin. Sickness and disease is the foul offspring of its father Satan and his mother sin. He's certainly right, isn't he? Ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound these low these 18 years, ought she not be healed? He laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight. Now, as I said, there's no indication on her part that she's exercising any faith whatsoever. It's certainly possible, but if it is, if that is the case, then there had to be a lot of things taking place here that, that the story leaves out. We don't know that she's heard of Jesus. We don't know that she came to Jesus specifically. He's just teaching in one of the synagogues. It's not like he was announced ahead of time that he's going to be there in teaching. So there's no reason, based on the details of the story that we have, to assume that she came for the benefit that she would derive or receive from Jesus being there. Which makes this story even more special to me because it shows what God is willing to initiate to overcome and destroy the works of the devil and to fulfill his covenant with mankind. Look back with me to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. Here's the story of the Syrophoenician woman. Beginning in verse 21, Then Jesus went thence and departed unto the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith, be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Here we see her faith identified and described. Now notice the different things that it says about this woman and the situation she's in. She first comes crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Anybody that speaks of the son of David to Jesus is using a biblical term, an Old Testament term, that identifies the Messiah. She wouldn't know if he was the son of David or not. She's not talking about his lineage. She's not talking about who, who his forefathers were. She's using a term that God emphasized that the Messiah, the king, would come from the loins of David. Now, Jesus didn't carry around a genealogical book with him to prove he was born of the right people. 
So when she cries out, when anybody in Jesus' ministry uses the term son of David, it's an identifying term that recognizes that he's the Messiah. So she's coming to him identifying that she believes he's the Messiah, but he doesn't do anything. He doesn't answer. The disciples who are responsible for crowd control, if nothing else, tell Jesus, send her away for she cries after us. That has to mean, folks, that they tried to get rid of her and they couldn't. Now put yourself in her position. Here's a situation that's completely different than the woman in Luke chapter 13 that was bound together and could in no wise lift up herself. This woman has come to the one that she believes is the Messiah. He doesn't respond to her. He doesn't seem affected by the fact that her daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. I'm not sure what grievously vexed means, but it implies to me that it's a desperate situation, that there's no hope or no help in any other place. But not only does Jesus not respond to her cry, but apparently the disciples try to get rid of her and they can't. If they could get rid of her, there would be no reason for them to ask Jesus to do it. So when she calls him the Messiah, Jesus does not answer her even a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, send her away, for she cries after us. As I said, to me that implies they tried and couldn't. Now, folks, as I said, put yourself in her position. Jesus is your only hope or your daughter's only hope. I would imagine it's a common trait that you share the same attitude that I do. I'd a whole lot rather be attacked than have my kids attacked. I know it's important for them to learn to stand on their own and learn to trust God for themselves, to find him just as faithful as I've found him through the years. But that, even that does not lessen my desire to take on the, the battles myself rather than have them fight them. That perhaps that's just a natural parental instinct. I think it is. So here's this woman who's identifying Jesus as the Messiah. That by his inaction and his silence indicates that he's not concerned for her or her situation. But still she won't leave. That'd be the place for a lot of people to get upset and huff and puff and walk away. But not her. So when Jesus didn't answer a word and his disciples asked him to get rid of her, he does finally answer and say, I am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In other words, he's saying the Messiah was sent first to the Jews and then later to the Gentiles. Jesus seems to be operating on the, the premise that healing will be available for everybody, Jews and Gentiles, after his resurrection. And certainly we know that to be true. We know that the healings that took place even in Jerusalem in the earliest days of the church were available for Jew and Gentile alike. But Jesus seems to be giving her a reason why he can't help her. 
I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Her being a Syrophoenician woman, it's reported that that means that her parents were a mix of Jews and Gentiles. I don't know if it was her father that was a Jew that married a Gentile or if it was the other way around. But the mixed race or mixed ethnicity of her parents disqualifies her from being a recipient of what God sent to the Jews. So Jesus seems to be telling her, here's why I can't help you. I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. Now this would seem to me to be the thing that turns the tide. But it doesn't. How can Jesus resist somebody that knows that he's Messiah? Now remember, this same thing was asked of the disciples in Matthew chapter 18 at a later date when Jesus says, who do men say that I am? They respond, some say you're Elijah or one of the prophets. The Old Testament prophets come back to life. But then he asks, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds for the group and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answers and says, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. This woman had it before Peter did. This woman had an understanding of who Jesus was even before his disciples did. So Jesus answers when she says, Lord, help me. Jesus answered and said, it is not meet or right or appropriate to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. Now notice, first of all, what Jesus identifies concerning healing. He said healing belongs to the children of God. She's come for healing and deliverance, hasn't she? Jesus says it's not appropriate to take the children's bread, the healing and deliverance that she's looking for, that she seeks. It's not appropriate to take the children's bread of the possession of healing and deliverance that it belongs to the Jews and to cast it to dogs. And dogs were considered, uh, all Gentiles were considered dogs, which I'm sure it was a term of endearment, don't you think? I'm sure that didn't offend anybody. But even Jesus uses the term. It's not appropriate to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. Here Jesus is saying specifically, without reservation, without argument or dispute, he's saying healing and deliverance belongs to the Jews. Now why does it belong to the Jews? Well, we'd be better off by saying it belongs to the Jews first. Jesus was sent first to the Jews, and then after that to the Gentiles. Well, they haven't gotten to the part in Jesus' ministry where he goes to the Gentiles because the Jews are actively seeking, seeking to kill him, to put him to death. He's not there yet. And so he says, I can't take the healing and deliverance that belongs to the Jews and give it to the Gentiles. It's not appropriate to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. But she still won't give up. Now, folks, this is the kind of faith that moves God. Not the kind of faith that gets offended when things don't go your way. 
Not the kind of faith that gives up when it doesn't work the way that you thought that it would or want it to. But the faith that won't give up no matter what. She said, truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Mark's account says it this way. Mark doesn't give us the details that uh, this account does, that Matthew gives us. But he, it does contain not the first part of what Jesus said, but the last part about casting the children's bread to dogs. When she says, truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Mark's account says it this way. Jesus answered and said, for this saying, your daughter is made whole. For this saying, your daughter is made whole. Mark doesn't identify the great faith that Jesus commends. And so that's the, the primary reason why we use this in the details of the story that Matthew gives us. But even though Jesus is telling the truth that it wasn't time for the healing work of God to go to the Gentiles, the kind of faith that will not turn loose, the kind of faith that refuses to be offended, the kind of faith that will not be run off, changes God's timeline so that her daughter can be delivered and healed. Think about what that means, folks. You can change God's timeline by your faith. That means God cares more about his children who believe in the Son of God and who will not turn loose of what they desire to receive. God cannot resist that kind of faith. He cannot resist that kind of faith. And that's the reason why the devil tries to shake us up. That's the reason why after we extend our faith, speak our faith for the purpose of exercising our authority to take hold of what Jesus has purchased for us on the cross. That's why the devil tries so hard to get us to turn loose of our profession of faith. The Bible says, hold fast your profession of faith. Knowing that he's faithful, it promised. For you have need of patience. That after a while, your faith and patience will bring in the thing that you're seeking to receive. That's the kind of faith that God cannot receive or cannot resist. Where's your break point? What's the point where you say that's enough? I'm done. This woman didn't have one. With us having the knowledge that we have, with us knowing the character and the nature of God, with us having the entirety of the scripture, showing us who we are in Christ and what belongs to us, Clearly mapping the way for us to take hold of everything that Jesus purchased by his blood. If there's anybody that should not ever have a break point, 
it should be us. And us is a universal term, meaning it shouldn't be anybody that knows what we know and has the foundation of the Word of God to back it up. The Lord told me many years ago that the devil doesn't have the power to stop real faith that won't give up. He wants to make you think that he can, but he does not have the power to resist a faith that won't quit. He doesn't have the power to enforce sickness or disease or poverty or any evil thing upon the children of God who won't quit. The thing that made this woman's faith great was that she would not quit. Oh, that that would be said of us too. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We believe it to be true. We believe from our hearts that Jesus took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses and with his stripes we are healed. We have spoken and we do speak the word of faith to take hold of the things that Jesus purchased for us, the healing that Jesus purchased for us with his own precious blood. And therefore we declare, as we've said many times before, we believe that we receive our healing. We say to sickness and disease, be gone from us, never to return again. We will not imagine vain things against you, Lord, for you have made an utter end of sickness and disease. And we say that affliction shall not rise again the second time. Satan, we serve notice on you. We will not quit. We will not yield the profession of our faith we will not yield our tongue to say anything other than what God's word says and God's word says we were healed by the stripes of Jesus so no matter how long it delays no matter what difficulty is associated with the circumstances that we're in we hold fast to the truth of God's word we declare in the face of pain, in the face of sickness, in the face of disease, in the face of symptoms, whatever they may be, we say that we're healed by the stripes of Jesus. We thank you, Father, that not only is that something we believe, but it's something that's absolutely true and will always be true. So we commit to you, Heavenly Father, that we will not quit either. We refuse to quit. We refuse to turn loose. To turn loose of our profession of faith. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Sure is quiet in this Presbyterian church. God is good, isn't he? Let's lift our hands and just thank him. Thank you, Father, for your great plan of redemption. Thank you, Jesus, for carrying it out. 
Thank you, Lord, for being willing to die on the cross and to shed your blood, to pay the price, to set us free from spiritual death, poverty, and sickness and disease. We love you, Holy Father, and we thank you for being so good to us. And Jesus, we honor you, and we thank you for being the one that paid the price. Let us never fail to exercise our faith to take hold of everything that you purchased for us. If it was important enough for you to shed your blood for, it's important enough for us to take hold of. And Father, we say it again, we'll never quit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, folks. Thanks for being with us.